All right, so um, David and I um, are going to talk about um, how uh, Infor manages its 50-plus uh, enterprise applications in the Infor Cloud. Uh, we'll try to stay uh, true to the subject of the and the, the description of the session, so we'll try to avoid any material that is marketing-oriented. We are both from Infor Global Solutions. Um, so we'll try to keep the session towards, uh, oriented towards the technical information. Some of the information that is business-oriented or strategy-oriented uh, will be necessary to present because that's pertinent to understanding how the, um, what the requirements were for DevOps tools for Infor because of some of the unique uh, requirements that are there for Infor Cloud. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to we'll go a little bit into how, what does the Infor Cloud look like? What is the strategy for, for managing applications in the Infor Cloud? What are the applications that run? What are the architectures and other considerations that are pertinent to understanding what DevOps tools we built, why we built it, and why could we couldn't use something uh, straight out of the uh, something ready-made solution? So there's um, some amount of uh, information is necessary to understand about the company and the product sets that we run in the, in the cloud. So Infor is a third largest enterprise uh, company in the world, uh, $3 plus billion uh, revenue, uh, about 7,000 customers in the cloud. Uh, we run, as I mentioned, 50-plus uh, enterprise applications in the cloud. We run all, all products uh, that vary from edge applications like the uh, expense management, uh, uh, hospitality management, asset management, including and business-critical applications like ERP systems, uh, we run um, some of the healthcare customers, so we have a pretty large uh, presence in the healthcare market, so we run HIPAA-compliant workloads. So we have a wide variety of applications and, uh, and, and therefore a wide variety of requirements for applications that run in InfoCloud. Um, we run all of our workload uh, in the InfoCloud on Amazon. So uh, Quite uh, many moons ago, we used to run our applications on our own hardware in, uh, in Colo facility. Uh, but as we were expanding globally, we decided to uh, uh, not build more data centers, but uh, to go with AWS, uh, to go with a public cloud provider. We, had, we evaluated um, Microsoft Azure, IBM Smart Cloud, VMware vCloud, uh, and a few others at the time. This was back in 2012, 13. Uh, time frame, and we uh, we spent quite a bit of time evaluating those software uh, uh, for those public cloud providers. We did not find that they had the uh, the breadth or the depth of offering to support the enterprise applications that we needed to run the cloud. So we, in 2014, our CEO um, uh, signed a strategic agreement with AWS and uh, was presenting at one of the AWS events and made this uh, statement, which eventually became quite famous. His friends. Don't let uh, friends build data centers. So we run, uh, the important thing to understand here is we run all of our workloads on AWS. All the DevOps tool set that we would explain today are all built on uh, to run only on AWS. We, we could, if we needed to, um, uh, do some significant surgery to make them work on other clouds. We have no plans to. We're uh, quite happy. So uh, I think that's the takeaway that all of our uh, tools today are very uh, ingrained with AWS technologies. So it's important to understand a little bit about the Infor Cloud, what runs on in the Infor Cloud, what kind of products. So I'll walk a little bit into this, uh, get a little bit into the Infor strategy. Um, as I explained, we run a um, 
a wide variety of different workloads in Infor uh, Cloud. We have products that are uh, built for the cloud on microservices architecture, run in Docker or in ECS. We have products that are uh, uh, all the way range from designed or originally for on-prem that have been re-architected for the cloud and products that span anywhere in between. So we, we have products that are going through the various journeys. So the DevOps tool sets that we needed to build needed to support all these wide vari uh, variations in the products which were in different stages of their cloud journey. Um, we also have made some significant acquisitions of the products over a period of time. So with the acquisitions, the product come with different technologies and, and the tool sets that we built needed to support these various technologies that these products uh, were built in. So the info strategy has been to uh, create what we call as cloud suites, and cloud suites are a collection of um, uh, deep industry-rich functionality applications that provide end-to-end uh, uh, -end solutions to a particular vertical. And so we have a number of these cloud suites. In each of these cloud suites, for example, uh, a cloud suite aerospace and defense would be built, would have a core ERP at its, uh, at its center, and a number of products surrounding those would be part of that cloud suites. And those uh, products that are surrounding the, the ERP and the ERP itself could be anywhere in that cloud journey. So we have for aerospace and defense, we have products that are true pure cloud, uh, microservices-based application, as well as products that have been architected, re-architected for the cloud. So the important takeaway is that a cloud suite can be made of number of applications that can have um, wide variation technology. And the DevOps tool set that supports the deployment of these applications needed to, uh, to be able to support all applications wherever they were in uh, journey for the cloud. Uh, Infor also built a, a set of products that we internally call as uh, tech stack products, that these tech stack products have been built from ground up for the cloud, uh, and they provide a layer on top of these products to provide a layer of homogeneity to the, to the end users. So the end users are unaffected or unaware of the products that are under the cloud suites, which may be in a different stages of their cloud journey. So the tech stack products provide a common UI, common authentication mechanism, common reporting BI, uh, an integration layer for the consumers. So consumers just see a single pane of glass and um, all the application appear homogeneous to them, whereas under the hood they could be running different technologies and different engines as these best of breed applications were either acquired or built. So it's, um, so the DevOps tool set needed to support um, deployment of these various products built with different technologies and integration of those products. So there's at, at an amount of integration that happens at the infrastructure layer between these functional products and the tech stack products that needed to be supported by this, uh, uh, by this DevOps tool set. Additionally, the DevOps tool set needed to account for the fact that from the get-go, we decided that we wanted a completely software-defined data center. <clears throat> so what we wanted was the infrastructure deployment to be software, the application deployment to be software as well, and the management of the life cycle of those applications, whether it's the patching, the tenant creation, or any updates to the application or the infrastructure to be completely software-driven. The benefits of that are, of course, um, um, repeatability, you can uh, review the code that is being used for deploying the application for the infrastructure. You can uh, easily track changes that are happening in the infrastructure on the deployment automation code. 
uh, and the repeatability of the, of the deployment. So if you go in any region in the world where we have deployed in for cloud, the products that are deployed look identical to any other region. So that's, that was another criteria that the DevOps tool set needed to account for. Um, as Infor, as I explained, Infor has multiple products uh, built on different technologies or going through different set of stages of cloud uh, through its cloud journey. We needed to ensure that the products that were coming to Infor Cloud had meet certain basic criteria to be in the Infor Cloud. So we established what we internally call as the cloud certification process of Cloud 2.0 and 3.0, which basically just evaluate the readiness of the product from basic multi-tenant cloud criteria to ensure that the products that are coming to the cloud, even though they vary in the technology or in the, in the journey to the cloud, they at least meet some basic criteria. So for example, we would evaluate the application, different tiers of the application for uh, their horizontal scalability, whether they can be in the not a scaling group, fault tolerance, monitoring hooks, are there monitoring hooks in the application, um, the automation capabilities, whether the application has hooks for automation, uh, to deploy the application as well as manage, update, patch the application. So these are some Cloud 2.0 and 3.0 criteria, what we internally call uh, as a certification criteria to ensure that even though products came from different sources or were built differently, they, they come up with a, a common, they meet at least a common criteria before they come to the cloud. That is also meant that when a product comes to Infor Cloud, they can, they can integrate with the DevOps toolset that Infor has built to, for managing its uh, cloud products. So Infor Cloud uh, infrastructure as well as application is built in layers. As you know, at the very bottom is the, uh, the typical Amazon uh, layers of regions, availability zone, and pop locations. And then there's a layer of Info, uh, AWS services um, that, that are provided just by AWS. On top of that, Infor has created its own layer of services um, which are required to support its enterprise applications. So an example would be, let's say, an FTP service, which is required by our enterprise application. And these services typically are made by, are created by collecting a number of AWS services and some open source components and provide a service to our applications. So the FTP service would behind the scenes use S3 as a storage and then some open source component like Crush FTP or something to provide the, uh, the FTP service to the applications. So on top of the Infor-based services, then the applications are deployed, the individual applications, and, and then the cloud suites are nothing but uh, something that are uh, brought together by the tenant creation process where the applications are, are brought, uh, integrated together and provide a common login for the customer. So when the customer logs into a cloud suite, they see just a common plane and where the, all the applications, whereas the under the hood, the engines could be different, the technology could be different, but all that is managed through the DevOps tool set. So as, when, we, when Infor deploys its products in a, new, um, in a new region in Amazon, the first thing we deploy is the networking layer, the, uh, the VPC, we create the VPC and some Active Directory interfaces and some of our common um, tool sets for DevOps tool sets as well as configuration management and, and the other basic tools. The next, what we deploy is this layer of Infor-based services um, that are deployed on top of this base uh, infrastructure layer. Applications, when the applications are deployed, there is a infrastructure layer pertinent for, uh, for the applications like the subnets, the database clusters, and then the application itself is deployed in tiers and using the same uh, tool set. So the, the infrastructure, the base services, and the applications are all deployed using the same 
uh, tool sets. Um, so in order, in order uh, when we deploy the network VPC layer and come to the next layer, which is let's say we want to deploy subnets for the application, there is a dependency, there's an output from the VPC deployment like the VPC ID or the CIDR range that needs to be passed to the application layer like subnets when you're creating subnets. So these are, there's a lot of parameter exchange when we deploy different layers of the application. So when an application is being deployed, the database cluster uh, endpoint as well as the database cluster connection information needs to be passed to the application deployment code. So um, as a result of the, comp the number of applications, different technologies and, and, and the way the, the applications are deployed in layers, there's a need to exchange a lot of parameter values between these various deployments. And so the tool sets are needed to accommodate these, uh, uh, to automate, to provide automation for the exchange of these parameters. Initially, what we used to do is to manually enter these parameters for every deployment, and that resulted in errors, of course, and the automation uh, being not repeatable when the application was being deployed in different regions. So we have built a tool set, and I'll invite uh, uh, David Lowry to talk about the, uh, the tool sets that help us solve some of these problems and some of these uh, unique requirements in InfoCloud. All right, so one of the things I'd like to do before we get into the actual tools is talk a little bit about one, some of the things that we've, as we build these DevOps tools, some of the principles we like to uh, adhere to. We already talked about the automation from end to end in a previous slide, but there's another thing that we've also done that Jim Plourd, our cloud operations VP, really pushed early on, and that was use AWS services wherever possible. So we know that when AWS builds something, it's going to be, one, highly available, meaning we don't have to worry that there's a single point of failure, and two, it's very scalable. So we might start out small, um, but we can usually expect to go very wide at some point as we deploy more apps and use that service. So we, need, we don't have to worry about building that into our service if we use an AWS service. Now, the one thing that we have to work around a little bit is the fact that sometimes when a service first comes out, it's a minimally viable product. It's a smaller feature set, and then more stuff will be added later on, and we may not have the one piece of functionality we need. And we're able to usually work around that by using something like Lambda. We can use a little piece of Lambda code to provide that essential functionality we need until it's provided by the service itself. We've taken that same approach and started using it for our services. And instead of trying to do all the requirements at the outset and build this huge service and deliver it maybe six months, a year later, and then realize that everything's moved on past that, what those initial requirements were, we try to get things out very quickly. Um, and then the developers will let us know what they want to see in the product. I'm going to talk about a couple different services. Um, Pharaoh will be talking about for the rest of the presentation, so I'm not going to talk about it here. Another one that we use is called Windsor. And we built this tool with the thought behind it that if our infrastructure is really code, then we would want to test it just like any other piece of code. We wouldn't want to do unit tests, 
and integration tests on that de de deployment. So Windsor lets us take a deployment, a full-size enterprise app, um, maybe a, our BI suite or any of the apps that we had on the previous slides, and lets us set it up, do, run some tests on it, make sure that the deployment's working correctly, and tear it down, and then report on how that went. We can trigger it either nightly, which is what we do now. Um, we're also moving into things like triggering it when the user wants to, so they can go in and say, hey, I just made a change, I wanna run this now. And then the eventual goal is to, as soon as the automation code hits the repository, we want to go out, test it, make sure that somebody didn't introduce uh, changes that would break the deployment. Another app we built is called Hanover, and that's uh, to solve the problem of that a lot of people have. At night, I don't want to be running infrastructure or instances or anything like that if nobody's using it. So because we have so many teams, we couldn't just do a draconian, okay, shut off at um, certain time at night, come back in the morning. We have to have different schedules for different teams that are spread around the globe, and this gives us a lot of flexibility to do, to do that. And then because we again, have a lot of accounts that we need access to, or several that the developers and the operations folk need to get into. What we, we have this other product we call the AWS Toolbox, and you'll notice it doesn't match the naming scheme. It was one of the first ones. Um, we, this allows people to do self-service group administration. So our a development team manager could go in and say, hey, I've just brought in this new developer. Um, I want to add them to our group, and suddenly that person now has federated access into the all the same things that the rest of the team has access to. We don't have to open a ticket or anything. So now we're gonna delve into this first product that I mentioned, Faro. And the question obviously is, what is it? Um, it's our deployment framework and tool set that we use to deploy our apps uh, or in, that we're moving to. We still have a couple that don't support it. And it is most easily understood, if you think about it from a couple different paradigms that everybody has been exposed to or is probably familiar with, um, the first one is RPM, or DPKG, you can pick your flavor. And the idea that when you build a package that you want to deploy somewhere, and in RPM it's obviously on a machine, you can say, I have different dependencies on these libraries and things like that that I need before I can actually go install myself. Um, so we need something that's very similar to that because you saw all the applications we have. We've got to be able to say, okay, before I deploy this piece, say this application, our BI suite, um, I need a VPC. I need a lot of other stuff to make that happen. And so we use that dependency idea. We also use uh, concepts from CloudFormation, the idea of inputs, outputs, and resources. And we'll talk about that more as we get into it. And we use the idea ideas from Docker. So at the instance level, or I guess you could even say the container level, there's, that, there's the idea that you take everything you need to run this particular piece of software, um, like a web service, a microservice, something like that, and you package it up in a immutable, meaning it won't change if somebody does uh, once to make a change, they can't, they have to create a new one off of that initial one. So you have this immutable package that you can then hand off to somebody else, they can deploy it and run the exact same thing you're running. 
So what we, if we had to take Pharaoh and just pull it together into one sentence, the way I like to describe it is Docker for cloud enterprise apps. Going a little bit more into the technology that we built, uh, Faro is a CLI first and then has a web service component or multiple web service components as that do different tasks. And so the, the build, building these packages is all done via the CLI. And then as you get into the deployment side of things and the, the repository, then you're going to be looking at more web services. Uh, just a little tidbit that we learned. If you're going to have a CLI utility, like, um, well, Docker is a perfect example, is really good to write it in Go. And Docker is written in Go. Pharaoh is as well. And the reason behind that is that if you, if you write something in Ruby or Python, which are both very good languages, then you have the problem of how do you deliver it. And obviously, you could deliver it as a Docker container. But we weren't at that point. So if you have... Pharaoh, you, all you need is one executable. It's statically compiled, has all the libraries, everything it needs in it, and we don't have to worry about supporting somebody on a different version of a Mac or we didn't think we needed to support Ubuntu, and now we have trouble supporting it. So we just provide one binary for each platform, and we don't have to um, worry about all the deployment difficulties. So just a little tidbit if you ever have to write a CLI for uh, managing something. So the first question we always get, and we've been asked this by people internally, we've been asked this by our uh, solutions architect from AWS, why do you need this tool? There are a lot of tools out there that do very similar things. You have OpsWorks, you have CloudFormation, you have CodeDeploy, you have containers and ECS and all this stuff. Why do we need something else in this whole mix? And the answer is we need, one, we need to be able to package it up in a way that accommodates all of those. And again, if you go back to the, the what Amul was saying about having all these different technologies and all these different applications that we have to make work, we, we have to be able to handle everything from a microservice, ECS, Docker container type app, you know, bleeding edge, um, to apps that haven't quite been able to get all of the cloud 2.0 requirements finished yet. They're moving that direction. They're moving towards microservices architectures. But we got to deploy them today. We can't wait until they're at that stage. So we had to have something that we could package any of those and hand it off in a uniform fashion to whoever's doing the deployment, whether that be a dev team, an ops team, whoever. They, and they all, it all works the same way. Um, the other thing that I like to mention, and Amul already mentioned this, is parameters. When you have all of these interdependencies that we talked about earlier, you have to have some way of getting information from one deployment to another. For example, your VPC to your, uh, if you have the VC, BPT, excuse me, the VPC deployed separately by a, your networking team, you have to get this, that information to the application so it knows the subnet IDs and the security group IDs and all those kind of things. Uh, same thing applies to our integrations, like database information, um, endpoints, S3 buckets, all of that kind of thing. So let's go into that a little bit. What do you need to deploy a cloud app? And we're talking here fairly complex apps, not just one product, multiple products. So you might have CloudFormation. You might have 
uh, code deploy app specs, you're going to have, from a lot of our apps, we deliver things as EXEs or um, Linux executables for the installer, or you might have containers for the, some of the newer apps. You have your automation code. We use Salt Stack primarily, but you might have Chef. You might have Puppet. You might have PowerShell. And we have a lot of apps that use PowerShell. So you need something where you can grab all of this stuff that belongs to a deployment and keep it together in sync, immutably, ready to deploy when the time comes. The way we used to do it was a little bit less than ideal, which is partly why we built Faro. So I, I got this idea originally from a GitHub session. And one thing I neglected to realize is that GitHub works really well in that they can keep all their code, they push it, when it hits master, it can be deployed at any time. But it's really one product, not 50, if you think about it. So it didn't work real well for us. We would, what would happen is we'd have our automation code, which was delivered separately from the application binaries, and that would be put uh, moved out to the salt stack masters. And then we would have somebody, maybe the same people, maybe somebody else, upload the binaries into S3. And then once all that was there, and in theory it could be deployed, we'd then go to CloudFormation, a different console, deploy the infrastructure, whether it be the ELBs, the EC2 instances, and primarily the issue was around EC2 instances and their automation code. They would pull the stuff down from the salt master, and then if you wanted to do an update, you'd use a totally separate tool, which would be code deploy. So it got very cumbersome, and it was not repeatable because somebody would forget to upload a binary in that account or somebody would forget and make a change in the automation code but not make the change in S3 that corresponded to it. And so you very quickly got yourself into situations where it was failing and you had no idea why because somebody changed something or somebody forgot to change something and we couldn't do a deployment. Going on to parameters, as I mentioned, just for a simple application, there's a lot of things you have to know. You have to know subnet IDs, you have to know your security groups, you have to know, if you have using Active Directory, you have to know your AD settings, like your domain, username, password for joining the domain. Um, you have to know your database. All this kind of stuff, just to deploy one reasonably complex app, even simple apps require a lot of information. So we needed some way to get all that and not have to go through what we were going through before. And that was, we would have an admin, literally have to go check each console to find that information and go to VPC and look at the subnet IDs and look at the security groups. And then they'd have to go talk to the Active Directory ad admin and get the domain name. Usually that was well-defined. But they'd also have to uh, get the, the secure parameters for joining the domain, the username and password, and securely store them in S3, which is a separate place. And it just got very complex to get that whole set of parameters. And it was very, very painful. You could easily mess something up, just get a wrong ID, look, look at the wrong line, put in a wrong thing, a wrong um, parameter, and all of a sudden your, your deployment doesn't work. So because of that pain point, we said, okay, we need something where we can get the parameters from one place to another, and we need an easy way to do that. So that's where Faro started, uh, we started working on Faro, and now I'm going to move a little bit into how it works from the process point of view, and then we can move into the different components. So it's, it's a workflow that you should recognize. You build your package, we call it a deck, and that will become apparent why in a couple minutes. Um, you 
publish that deck to a repository, and then you go deploy it. The deploy, you tell it what deck you want to deploy and what um, target you want to deploy to, and you deploy the deck. Okay, I think it's what everybody is very familiar with. Docker does a very similar workflow. CloudFormation isn't much different, so I, I, except for the packaging part. So it's not something that's new. So let's go into each of those and take a look at them. All right, so when we build something, we grab all of the code pieces, the automation that's in the repository and pull it in to a deck. And the way you specify what those pieces are is a simple file we call a deck spec, very similar to an RPM spec file or a CloudFormation file. It just tells Pharaoh what I need to go grab to put into this deck. Deck spec is very similar um, formatting to what you would expect, format version in case we ever have to make breaking changes. Um, we have things like parameters, outputs, and in, in inline scripts, scripts that are in the same directory. And you can also specify your AWS resources that you're trying to provision. So there's, it's, it's not exactly a glorified CloudFormation file, but it's in some ways very similar to that. So it's a very similar concept. Now, one thing we quickly realized was one problem we had to solve was that we had a lot of code that was being used a lot of different places. An example of this is an agent. Let's say you use Trend Micro, or you use Sumo Logic, or you use CodeDeploy, and you don't, you're using Omnius that don't have it installed. So how do you get that uh, agent code, have one copy of it, and then move it into each of your other pieces of automation so that every time an instance comes up, it has Sumo Logic installed? Well, that's where we actually can do what we call a nested deck, and you, or included deck. And the idea is that you can take a deck you've already built and use it as one of the components of another deck. So um, I was going to get a deck of cards, but apparently that's hard to find around here for some reason. Um, the, if you take a card and think of it as the Sumo Logic agent, and then you have another card, and you think of it as the Trend Micro agent. It has all the automation needed to install Trend Micro. And you put those together, and then you have your app automation code as another card, and you start building this deck. When you're done, your deck has all the components you need to install everything you need for that set of instances or that tier. So it's, it's really nice because now we, we make the change once to our agent codes, and then we can push it out to um, all the other automation without everybody having to go in and write that themselves. Once you've built something, you need to publish it so that other people can use it. So you, we use a web service for this. We're moving from the client side, or CLI side to the web service. And you take that deck that you've built, and inside of the deck spec, you can actually point to other locations like S3 HTTP, HTTPS, and at this point, the publish process looks at those links and says, okay, I'm going to go get those, and we're going to put this as one big package and deploy, uh, put it up into our repository. So this way, we are now locking in any of the binaries that are needed. So you cannot, once you've published something, the only way to change a binary that could potentially break your application is to create a new version of the deck. And we keep all the old versions of the deck. 
Um, at this point, it's still indefinite, but we'll start cleaning them up at some point. So if you could go back three weeks ago and get that exact piece that you deployed back then. We'll go into the internals a little bit and talk about the AWS services we use. Uh, we use API Gateway and for the front end, and then we have Lambda functions that do the publish um, actions. We store our metadata in DynamoDB, and we store the zip files, the deck files, in S3, as well as any of the binaries. And now, you might be thinking, okay, what if I do a deck deployment, multi or a deck build and publish multiple times a day? So every time I'm doing that, let's say it's a 100 megabyte binary, and every time I build this deck and publish it, I'm pushing up a 100 megabyte binary. Well, the binary is not changing. It's just the automation code that I'm testing and trying to get right. Well, what we need to do, what we did there to avoid having to upload it every time is a trick we learned from Git. And if you're at all familiar with how Git stores its, its files internally, what it does is it runs a hash on the actual contents of the file and then stores that hash and pointers to it so that it never has to um, keep the same file with the same contents twice. So what happens is we look at that binary. We say, okay, we're going to publish it. We're going to run a um, hash on it, SHA-2. That will become the key of the actual binary we upload. And then we go to the publish uh, web service and say, hey, I've got this SHA-2 that I need to upload as part of my deck, and it will look and say, oh, I already know about that. You don't need to send it up. So we only ever keep one copy of each binary. It's a very similar concept to what Docker does, too. And that also keeps us from filling up S3 with the same file over and over. All right, so we've built a package. We've published it, and we have everything locked into place, ready to deploy, ready to hand off to somebody else. So let's talk about how we actually go about deploying it. Very similar workflow to what you would see in a lot of other things, um, Docker or CloudFormation. And what we do is we go to the deploy web service and say, I want to deploy this deck with this version. We can also use tags. We are using a lot of tagging uh, to keep the versions correct. And these are the parameters I want to provide for it. And then the deploy web service goes and takes that, downloads it from the repository, and spits it out into AWS. Well, it's obviously a little more complex than that, but it's a very similar um, setup. You can, as you can see, it's API Gateway, and we, to be quite honest, we do have some compute behind this and where we haven't converted everything to Lambda yet, but that's where we're headed. And we have, um, it contacts the deck repository, gets that deck, it stores the metadata in DynamoDB, and then we talk to the individual services that we interface with, and these are the five services we interface with right now. We use KMS for encrypting secure parameters, and I'll talk about that a little bit. We use S3, and you can store things you, in your deck spec. You can say, okay, go store this file out in S3 or put this templated text in an S3 file if you need that. We support CloudFormation, so we can do CloudFormation stacks. We support Lambda invocations, and it's very important to note we don't support Lambda deployments because if you really need to deploy something into Lambda, you can use CloudFormation to do that. But we do support running a Lambda function. 
and then we support, support code deploy to actually go out and run the code, Faro on the individual instances to deploy whatever is in the deck. Now, we have also implemented another way because there, the, when you have an auto-scaling group and you go through and you just want to terminate your instances one by one, you really don't need code deploy in that case. Everything can be done in user data when you want to do an update. So we also have the ability there to just put it in the user data, a very simple um, uh, command line, and then it will, when the instance comes up in an auto-scaling group, it'll pull down the deck and deploy it on that instance. So we have solved the problem of how do we deploy these entire um, applications into AWS and keep them all the pieces you need together. But what we haven't talked about yet is how do I get all that information between these interconnected systems to like parameters, database information, what endpoints, all of that stuff, how do I pass it from one deployment to another? So we have this concept that we are, I've already mentioned of dependencies. So this is basically how it works. Somebody uh, like our network team would go deploy a deck, a VPC deck, and now we have a VPC deployment, which is an instance. If you're if you're thinking in terms of class and object, it's an instance of that deck. So it's a, we call it a deployment. So we have this VPC deployment, and it has a bunch. It may have a couple inputs that are manually put in, like the CIDR block or things like that. But what's really important is all the things that it creates, say a subnet ID or a or multiple subnet IDs, your security group IDs. Those are then stored in outputs. Now, any deck can come in and say, you know what, for me to de deploy, I need a VPC. You just tell me what the VPC name is and I will go get those parameters and use or the outputs from that deck and use them as my parameters. So it's very similar to what CloudFormation just delivered with the output to, or the uh, output to parameter chaining. But in our case, we can actually change them in the, depend, the deck that's being depended on, and then they get pushed down um, at the next deployment in the, in this case, the app deck that's depending on the VPC deployment. So it's really nice in that if you set everything up right, what you will end up with is never having to enter a parameter twice because it's already in the system somewhere and you can just depend on that, um, that deck or that deployment and get that parameter for you. Now, there's one thing we haven't talked about and that's how we deal with secure parameters. So the problem is that if you're using this tool to do all your deployments, you don't wanna have clear text passwords, API keys, that sort of stuff sitting in your deployment metadata database. So what we do is we use KMS. So when there's a secure parameter, it's very similar to the way you would uh, do a secure parameter in CloudFormation. Uh, you just flag it as this is a secure parameter. You do the deployment, and then when that comes into the Faro deploy service, the first thing it does is go out and encrypt it using KMS. And the deployment web service only has rights on the key to do the encryption. It cannot decrypt it. So from that point on, the deploy web service has no access to the clear text. It only has the cipher text, which it puts in its metadata database. So what then happens is when we do a deployment, you can use one of those cipher texts as a input, as a parameter for your 
you know, those dependencies, you can use that as an input value. So now you get this ciphertext on your instance, and what do you do with it? Well, you go out to KMS, and because your instance role has access to decrypt that particular ciphertext, the instance can decrypt it, but nobody else gets access to that text. But we can pass it around fairly comfortably without having to worry about somebody in the process or something in the process seeing something they shouldn't. So now that we've built and published and deployed our applications using this process, using Faro, what is the future? Well, the first thing we need to do is really go back and clean up a lot of the legacy automation that we have out there, a lot of that salt stack master stuff. There's still quite a bit out there that we need to look at, um, though it's really rapidly shrinking. We're converting fairly quickly to Faro. We need to eliminate manual steps in the process. We still can't, we can provide the framework, but we can't stop somebody from saying, hey, this file's out in S3 and it's a parameter, and somebody has to go manually put that file out into S3. The way we deal with that is Windsor, the, the testing framework, and what usually happens is the Windsor team gets together with the app team and they say, okay, we want to do an automatic deployment of your app. So what do you have to have to make that happen? And they'll say, oh, well, we need to go talk to the DBA to get our database provisioned, and then they'll hand us off the stuff we need, and we'll go deploy our app. Okay, so the Windsor team says, you go to the DBAs and figure out how to do that automatically. We already have a way to do it, to provision, provision databases automatically. Come back and talk to us. So it, it, at some point, we never actually touch any of the, the technology, if you will. We just send the dev team back to get all that stuff figured out, and it becomes almost like a checklist. Once we have all those manual steps eliminated, we can do those test deployments, set up, test, tear down, do them in the middle of the night, and they really don't cost that much, about 3 $4 for a complete deployment. And when that's complete, then we know that we don't have any manual steps in the process. We also want to get to the place where when the business says, okay, we just signed a customer that wants a presence in, say, Brazil, or wherever we aren't currently hosting our software, we want to get to the place where we can say, okay, give us a day, we'll have 30 enterprise apps up and running for you, and you can provision customers about a day is what we're looking at. So there's... There's a lot of stuff that has to happen to make that possible. But once we have that, then we'll have the ability to deploy large uh, um, environments very quickly. But we have to start working back to get each piece, of that's, each piece of this deployed automatically. So we'll start working back up the stack uh, and not just at the app layer. And we need to reduce deployment timeframes. Right now, we're looking at some that run in about five, six hours, and if you're trying to go for 50 apps within a day, you're going to have to do a little bit of work to get that time frame down. So we'll be working on that, and we have some neat profiling that can actually say, okay, these are all the things you deployed. This is how long it took in a graph, and you can start looking at the uh, hot spots and clean them up. All right, so we talked about Faro, and um, I trust it's apparent now why we needed it because of all the different applications we have, the different teams that have different specialties like VPC and deploying the VPCs, the networking team does that, the different app teams that have the specialties in the individual apps. So we need 
something to tie all that together and get those parameters from one deployment to another. And we needed a way to package it up and pass it on so it's not pot, so we can do repeatable automation. So I'm going to let Amul wrap up, and then I think we'll have time for questions. Yep. So I'm not sure if that was uh, detailed enough or not. Um, we can bring some more developers on, on the stage and do some code reviews with you if you want us to get more detailed. Um, but uh, we, we basically covered from uh, Infor being a large enterprise company, a lot of different enterprise applications running in the cloud, a lot of different technologies, um, a lot of products in different stages of uh, its cloud journey, and we needed to solve certain problems uh, for automation, complete end-to-end -end automation in our data center. And one of the problems that we needed to solve was to, uh, to, uh, to have these parameter dependencies, the dependencies between different applications, different layers of deployment, whether it's infrastructure application or, or a combination of those, how do we make sure that we're not manually inputting these hundreds of parameters repeatedly for every deployment and causing non-repeatable deployments. And so FARA was our solution to that. Uh, we built it. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's, it's something we continuously evaluate, whether this has been superseded by something that's been released by Amazon and I think we, uh, by AWS. And we still feel that the problems that we needed to solve are not yet solved by the technologies that have been provided by AWS. So um, the, uh, we needed to encapsulate all this com complexity into something that can be repeatedly deployed without worrying about has somebody completed certain manual steps for this deployment to complete. Um, and as, as David mentioned briefly, we are working on uh, a Windsor project, and with several of these products are already part of the Windsor project, which is we, we, the goal, the vision is that we should be able to start with a blank account every night deploy the VPC, deploy every infrastructure, deploy every application into the, into the account and then tear it down and make sure that, that that will give us the assurance that the automation is working. And as part of the Windsor, we also have automated testing for the applications to make sure the applications that get deployed actually work. So the applications today, about um, out of 50, about six or seven applications are already part of the Windsor, and we deploy them every night, ending the cost for uh, the end-to-end -end deployment for Windsor for these applications turns out to be about 2 or $3 every night. So it's very economical uh, to do these deployments in teardown um, and gives us the assurance that what we have built is actually capable of being repeatable. That's all we had to present today. So if, we're, if there are any questions, um, we'll, we'll open it up for questions. Thank you.